Juan. Thank you guys so much for joining the uh, first conversation of the Down to Earth podcast. I am super, super excited to have Jim Thompson here with me. Uh, he's one of the teaching pastors at Fellowship Greenville, and uh, he actually was someone I bounced this idea off of to begin with. So it's great to, to have him as the uh, the first guest. And um, we have quite the history, actually. He was my systematic theology Bible teacher in high school, go Sabres, uh, my wife as well. <laughs> and uh, afterwards, we kept in touch very regularly. Um, that ended up leading to me interning for his church back in the summer of 2015, I think it was. So yep. crazy to believe how long ago that was. Uh, and then before we moved to Florida, we hung out just about every single Thursday night uh, with a group of dudes for several, several years. So uh, what started out, you know, as a student teacher relationship uh, has really turned into a fruitful friendship, at least for me. Oh. I, don't, I don't know about you, Jimbo. Oh, yeah. Oh, baby. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so uh, again, yeah, very excited uh, that you're joining me for this. So um, one thing you did just release a book called Sing Loud, Die Happy. Why don't you give us kind of the the brief, you know, rundown about the book, what kind of brought you to write it, you know, on singing and its importance, kind of the, the little gist there. Yeah, man. Well, first of all, dude, I love you so much. And it's great to, uh, great to kick this thing off <laughs> as the first, the first person. I'm uh, supremely yeah. honored. Uh, as per my book that you just mentioned, um, I'll start with my mom. I'll brag on my mom uh, a little bit. She is just like uh, the queen of of melody. Like she just sings here and there from place to place all the time. But it's not like she's got her, she's just singing, you know, like her, her set of songs. She's, it's like freestyle. It's like uh, Baptist pastor's wife freestyle. <laughs> She'll sing about like what she's cooking or like she used to sing about how my brother and I used to chill out, need to chill out. Um, just quite the melodious soul, my mom. Mm. And <clears throat> I think uh, she inoculated me with that, an appreciation for that. Um, so that's one reason why I got pushed to write this book about singing. <clears throat> Another one is, dude, I'm just a big, you know, man, I'm an old hymns snob. Yeah. And so <laughs> I, I don't think that those get the the screen time that they need that they don't get the the play time that they need and when they do somebody adds eight words in a chorus and they get paid for it and so that's just a big pile of gag me and i think it's ridiculous <laughs> and so <laughs> and so like the old hymns played purely for joy and melody and togetherness and fun and another part about those old hymns is that i was reading something the other day about those songs were written uh, with primarily the voice in mind and the melody in mind. And today, like pop music is written more with instrumentation and, and the hooks in mind. <clears throat> and mm -hmm. so you got my singing mama, you got my appreciation for the good oldies, the, the hymns. Um, and one thing, and then you got the, I mean, pandemic stuff, you know, no matter your take on that thing, it's like, we didn't have like the big togetherness of singing right like we had in 2019 like there was a gap like whatever your your deal is on that <clears throat> there was a gap in that and it made me miss it and so there's a lot of different things that pushed me to be like man there's just something about um, singing that is is close to what is real and good and true and beautiful <clears throat> in the world uh, in, in God's wisdom of course and then of course you just if you open the Bible it is 
everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. I read a Psalm to start my like devotions every morning and just sing, 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 do it. Right. And so the value of singing for uh, life in God's family just over the past few years has become uh, paramount and just really huge in my, in my mm. mind and in my experience. And so, I mean, you know me, dude, I, I love, right. love singing and being loud and happy about all the stuff. And so just diving in to explore it both biblically and theologically, and then took, I, I, I tried to shake a stick at what it does neurologically and emotionally and those things, which is really fun. And then writing a, a chapter on <clears throat> church history was really fun. And I sat right here at this desk where I'm sitting and cried writing about like the slave spirituals. Um, mm. And so, yeah, I know that's just a uh, uh, buckshot 20 reasons behind the book, but I, <laughs> I just, it, yeah, me, it's like, here's my, a short way I put it. I think I write this in the introduction. It's like for the history of Christianity, when Christians gather, they do three things. They do scripture and they do prayer and they do song. And with scripture, we're like, yeah, it's the Bible. It's God's word. We should do it. You need to do it. We're going to teach you how to do it with prayer. It's like, oh yeah, we got to pray. You need to pray before meals. You need to pray here. You need to pray when it's good, pray when it's bad. And we teach you how to pray. And with singing, we just do it and we don't explain it and we don't encourage it. Hmm. But the reality is scripture, excuse me, song, singing is the place where scripture and prayer meet together and neglect of why and how it's so powerful and beautiful and good and wonderful. Neglect of that is just a huge irresponsibility. So basically, I wrote the book that I wanted to read. Um, so that's yeah. complete, completely selfish. Uh, <laughs> um, but no, dude, it was a no, joy. I, start, I started writing it around Christmas 2020 and finally got it published with a, a really good publishing company. I'm really grateful for that. And that, and it came out mid August. So yeah. Yeah. No, it was, about it. yeah, it was so good. I, I loved uh, getting my hands on it and, um, it was one of those things like I knew you, I knew how much you love music and how much you appreciate it, all that kind of stuff. And yeah. even the depth that you went into with it, um, tracing its theme of singing and song. Um, it was literally, it was something like I, I didn't know I needed it until I finished it and just could kind mm -hmm. of think back. And you mentioned the the church history chapter was probably one of my favorites, honestly, because I didn't, I didn't really know some of that stuff um, mm. with music or how it was primarily sang and all those kinds of things. It's really, really cool. So um, I'm going to re-release with that endorsement right there. I didn't know I needed this book. So I just <laughs> yeah, quote me on that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as long as I get some like royalty cuts yeah, or oh, yeah, yeah. something. Yeah. Tens of dollars. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's so good. Uh, is there anything that, um, has, has since like maybe since you wrote it, like you obviously did a lot of study and research, um, that you have been reflecting on, like maybe a particular concept or thought that looking back, having written it and stuff that has challenged you or has you have found just really encouraged you, not necessarily your work, but like just. God's word and and how he talks about, you know, mm. singing or command and singing, like anything else that you have found yourself continually reflecting on since releasing it? Yeah, no, that's, <clears throat> that's a great question. I, um, I think having it done and just like having it, like, it felt like it was a part of me for so long. I know this is a bad illustration, uh, cause I'm a dude, but 
I've heard other authors say it, it feels like you birthed something out into the world. And so it, it felt like a part of me for so long. And then it like was out into the world. <clears throat> and right. then, so then beholding the thing as its own thing has been different. And it's encouraged me of like, what is God doing when the church gathers to sing or when mm. uh, believers gather to sing or when, you know, friends are singing together or even just like singing with a few people in the car, like what is happening there? What is God doing? What might he want to say or do in that space? That's been a refresher, but um, there's a, a scholar theologian guy. I think he might guest lecture at Duke. Maybe I can't remember this guy's name is David Taylor. I'm sorry. I'm trying to find it on my phone. I know this is, this is great radio, You're good. <laughs> um, but he just wrote a book called a body of praise. And the whole book is about like, like uh, what singing <clears throat> does, what singing in worship and prayer and stuff, what it does to our bodies like the physicality of it all. And that was a part in my book that really stood out to me. And I think in my book, it might be collectively like a page here or a page there. It might be total three pages, but in my mind, I remember writing it and going, wow, this is really about, because it's a whole body experience, it's supposed mm -hmm. to be a whole life experience. Like even the psalmist's say my heart and my flesh sing out to you and it's not just like my vocal box and my like mm, esophagus mm. and my like the, you know not just my vocal cords it's like there's something about my whole um physical emotional spiritual tangible frame my biological anatomical <clears throat> like singing does something to our entire life and our entire mm. body included so this right. theologian came out with a book um i saw that he was going to release it like the week that I finished my book and I was like, dang it. Well, I, I, <laughs> like, I wish I would have waited a year to like grab yeah. this book and <clears throat> use it for research. Mm. But that idea of just the physicality and like, this is a big word, but it's like the incarnationality of Jesus is the lyric become flesh. He's the melody become flesh and dwelt among us. Mm. So when the church gathers to sing, um, there is like a seasoning of the incarnation there somehow and the word uh, is sung, the gospel is sung. I just think it might sound mystical or weird. I just think that God does unique and powerful things in that physical act. It sure. doesn't say <clears throat> like, um, praise the Lord, all you nations and put in your earbuds and just go listen. Like it doesn't say that. Like, <laughs> come on, coastlands, lift up your voice. Like, you know, right. all people. Yeah. <laughs> and so there's something to the physicality and incarnationality and like uh there's something that even happens to our bodies and souls when we when we do it so I don't, your question was like how have you thought about it since you mm -hmm. since it's out there that's something that i've been uh noodling on and thinking about continually uh maybe that mm -hmm. i wish i had more space for in the book yeah no i like that that's awesome um and as you kind of know with these kind of questions i'm asking so kind of briefly mentioned this in the introduction episode as well. Like these were some of the questions I'll ask you or some questions that I asked different local church pastors as uh, you know, summer and I moved to Florida a little bit ago. And one of the first ones that I love to ask, and I'll ask this to you, of course, about Fellowship Greenville. Um, obviously no church is perfect in any capacity, but what is one of the greatest qualities mm in your opinion, I guess, of, of fellowship Greenville, what's one area of church life that you feel your church body really excels at, you know? Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. 
Oh, dude. Uh, I might cry. Is that legal? Crying yeah. on radio? <laughs> this um, is the safe space, yeah. Yeah, it's a safe space. It's good. I'll pay for therapy. Uh, so I, I can't say that without giving a brief like history of the church where I'm, I serve. Our church was founded like in bed with Bob Jones in the 40s. And at chapel at Bob Jones University back in the day, again, not a healthy uh, religious context, in my opinion, mm. uh, they would say from the stage things like, go to Southside Baptist Church. It's an awesome church. Again, this is 80, 75, 80 years ago. <clears throat> and throughout the 40s and 50s and 60s, um, our church was just very legalistic, uh, but it was all in the name of like Bible, 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 King James, Bible, Bible, Bible. Um, and then into the seventies and then in the eighties, um, the primary pastor guy here, Walt Hanford started to go, wait a second, grace is a, a thing. And it kind of <laughs> unravels the legalism thing. <clears throat> and, uh, so he just started to like change the the climate here, I think by God's mercy. And so people moved away from the stringency and like unnecessary intensity and like legalism and stuff that really just kind of puts people in a place of fear or guilt or shame. Mm -hmm. um, so <clears throat> that move happened in the eighties. And then in the nineties, we went to a plurality of leadership and eldership with a new uh, primary pastor person, Charlie, and like, Moving from legalism to grace was one thing, and then moving from grace to a plurality of leadership where it doesn't rest on one dude uh, was another really powerful move. Mm. But all that to say, all that to say, that has given our church um, a really unique uh, makeup in the sense that there are people who took that whole journey with us who were members in the seventies. Oh, wow. And they've moved right all the way to be like, Hey, grace is real. Grace upon grace. Hey, gospel go. And then there are other people who've come in the past 10 years who have no idea about that. And like, I get to teach our uh, membership class every time. And I always raise hands. This might be not, not good, <laughs> but I always <laughs> um, <clears throat> raise hands for like, Hey, how many of you grew up Baptist? Okay. How many of you grew up Presbyterian? How many of you grew up? And then I tried to do everyone Lutheran, Methodist, Wesleyan, Nazarene. Um, and then I say Pentecostals and I say both hands, which is funny. And it, it always gets left. Uh, <laughs> Why does this not like, surprise me? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I'm like Roman Catholic. And I, I kid you not. And then I say who didn't grow up in church. And I always have people with that. And I kid you not. Every time when I say, did I leave anybody out? There will be people who will go, I was raised this or that. And it's like, I was raised Mormon or I was raised Jehovah's Witness. <clears throat> and that kind of um, theological diversity, denominational heritage, et cetera, et cetera. And they're all trying to be like, okay, there's something about this church where they preach the Bible and they try to make a big deal about Jesus. There's something mm -hmm. about this that I think is valuable and that I think is good. And so one of the things I adore about my church is that there is um, incredible generational diversity, theological uniqueness, uh, coming from different denominational places and stuff. And it just really makes for a, a beautiful melting pot. Mm. Uh, so I'm really thankful for that. And it's, and it's, uh, it's fun. And it, now sometimes obviously that leads to like a weird email of like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> sure. But I think that leads to good conversation over coffee or lunch or whatnot. 
and just talking about those things in Jesus name. And so I would say that I, I love the story of our church and that it's not, forgive me. And I know God uses these things, but it's not a church that was planted in uh, 2008 um, and just has a more narrow kind of uh, thing going on. I believe the Lord uses those. That's not a slam. Our church is bigger. Like the, the smallness of those kind of congregations, I think um, is really beautiful in a lot of ways. I just love the long history of our church and I can see God's unique grace um, and all that. And it makes me really humbled and honored to try to serve people, especially serve different kinds of people um, in different ways here. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. I love that. Um, the history of the churches was something I always like to ask kind of as a sub to that. So it's, I'm glad that you kind of covered that. Um, the second question. Oh, can I throw, can yeah, I throw yeah. one more thing on there? Yeah. Uh, I just remembered this in, oh gosh, I can't remember what year exactly. It was probably late eighties, early nineties. Um, Bob Jones has a, a blacklist of churches that their students can't go to. And oh, no. <laughs> again, oh, no. quality radio, how to get oh, canceled. No. Here we go. I'm coming hot. And we, and our church got on the list in like the late eighties, early nineties. <clears throat> However, Bob Jones is doing better than they were 40 years ago. <clears throat> that is true. And we got taken off the blacklist for the first time in 2021. And wow. so I know, dude, and now we have these sweetheart Bob Jones students coming <laughs> and it's so, so great. Uh, they're, they're just absolute sweethearts. And so that's great. Even, even that is a little, I, I mean, humorous snapshot of God's grace that he's, uh, that he's faithful and all the stuff. Yeah. Mm, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's so good. Uh, the second question is kind of equally as important, but how important is alliteration in your three points? <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's not the question. It's not a sermon. There is no gospel. <laughs> Predestination, perspiration, preservation. There's no gospel unless. Yeah, the, the, the alliteration. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, the, the second question is always kind of the opposite side. So what's maybe one area that you feel you would like to see Fellowship Greenville grow or mature or change. Um, this is not the kind of time for, you know, church discipline to call out some folks, but uh, <laughs> but what, what would you kind of say maybe in general or maybe in a certain ministry area or I don't know, like what would you kind of say maybe is, is one area that you want to see some growth, maturity or change and then kind of follow that up briefly with, um, like what do you think are some practical steps that can be taken, um, mm. that would be helpful in kind of achieving that? Yeah, <clears throat> no, man, that's a great question. I, um, I think, uh, this goes back to church history stuff. <clears throat> I think our, ch our church was founded because it wanted to do, it wanted to do international missions a way that another church didn't. And so we were founded and we were supporting these uh, sweet fundamentalist missionaries all over the world in different ways. Mm. And again, those relationships even, even grew and changed and I think became more grace-based. And so uh, we, we had this kind of missions engine way back in the day for decades. And I think when um, we moved to understand grace more 
purely and rightly in how God relates to us, how Jesus has pursued us, how, how we should relate to one another, that grace is foundational for all those things. And then doing more healthily biblical things like being an elder led church rather than a senior led pastor church. I think that journey of, I don't put a timestamp on it, 20 years, whatever, maybe even 30, that journey required so much inward work Mm -hmm. that we still did missions. We still supported those people, but those accents, those emphases took um, less and less of a central place in the life of our church. And I'm not saying that was right or wrong. I'm just saying that the right stuff of putting, of seeing the gospel more purely was absolutely needed. And so I think, and we have a new, uh, a new, um, Jason is our new guy, the baton, the slow baton pass. And he has this unique apostolic gifting that God's really given him to like call everybody to a unique posture of mission and service and responsibility that we, you know, we still use that language because it's good and it's biblical, but like he, he, God has really gifted him in a unique way to call people to that. And so I think that idea of because grace is real and good and true and beautiful, because the gospel is uh, direct and practical and communal and covenantal and all these things, because it is all these things Mm. that should, yes, be a relief and do, you know, grace and peace to you. It should do that in our hearts. But at the same time, after you take that deep breath because of grace and peace, it should make you like get your butt up and do something about it and love people well, care for people well, and uh, serve people who can't serve themselves and love your enemies. It should make you do that. And so I think the Lord is really doing something to restore to us um, kind of a, let's use the pilot light illustration. Like if, if the burner used to be turned up, uh, on the on the stovetop, the, the, if the mission burner used to be turned up, and then over a while somehow it just got turned a little bit down to just a pilot light, it was still there. I think the Lord wants to turn that back up a little bit with uh, a healthier foundation of mm. um, of who Jesus is and what He came to do and, and the gospel and grace and those things. So I'm really excited about that. Now, <clears throat> on a far more fragile note, um, I was having lunch with somebody yesterday and we were talking about this. Pastoring in 2020 and 2021 was the living worst. <laughs> it was so, well, at least it, it, like I, I'm half joking, but I mean, there were people, let's see here. There's probably six months from fall 20 to spring 21 or early winter 21, where it was every other day accusations being thrown you're to this you're to that you're not enough this you're not enough that from both sides of the you'll just say it from both sides of the Mm -hmm, political mm -hmm. cultural social spectrum and so you know jesus is full of grace and truth and in matthew 22 uh the conservatives and the liberals theologically were coming at him at the same in the same conversation and so trying to walk the tightrope of grace and truth in jesus name was really difficult um in those days and it's still difficult it's just not as People aren't as loud about that right now, but so here's, here's how that thing relates to mission. And I think this is, you know, just something that God's given me to to think. If we encourage people to mission so much, those earthly voices and narratives have to be cut down, have to be Mm -hmm. turned down. 
So if you're so focused on mission, on the responsibility to love for people, care for people, serve people, go out of your way to uh, do self-giving love with people, to love your enemies, to to like do good in the world in Jesus name. If you're so focused on that, then you won't have time for whatever your particular soapbox or hobby horse is. You won't have time to like be loud about that thing that sure matters, but it matters like a speed bump and you're making it Mount Everest. Like if you're so focused mm. on Jesus and mission and gospel and movement, that thing will stay a speed bump and speed bumps are no big deal, but we ain't hiking Everest right now. We're trying to pay attention to Jesus. Um, so that's how I see those two relating. <clears throat> uh, like we're trying to, pay attention to Jesus and do the mission thing. And I, I'm trusting that, that will in the right way. Uh, what's the old turn your eyes upon Jesus and the things of earth will go strangely dim. Right. Like those things will get cut down. Yo, hymns touchdown. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, so that's just, that's the thing that I think right now um, our church needs, but I also think that God is, is doing here, which I, mm. I love. Yeah. No, that's awesome. And uh, we are kind of, running down the, the clock's ticking. So quickly, I guess, what is one, the last question, uh, and you kind of helped me with this one too. So what is kind of one theological conviction that you or your church holds? And then how does that practically play out with your ministry practice? How does your church put hands and feet to this certain belief? Mm, nice, dude. That's good. I can't wait to, uh, in the future, listen to how other yeah, me too. Answer these yeah. questions. Yeah, man. <laughs> this is great. And then I'll look back on mine and go, yeah, I'm, I'm an idiot. But, uh, <laughs> no, I love this. This is a, um, yeah, I think we could call this a theological conviction. But like, we're, we try to be really committed to expositional preaching, expository preaching, which is just going through a single passage. You're going through a book of the whole Bible. And <clears throat> that might sound, I don't know, depending on your tradition, that's either going to sound like, duh, obviously, or it might be like, I don't know, that might um, mm. that might sound like too much effort or whatever. Um, but here's what I love about it. <clears throat> you know, Paul says in Acts 20 and elsewhere, he talks about the whole counsel of God's word. He said to the Ephesian elders right there, I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God's word. Mm. Um, even when Jesus quotes Deuteronomy in Matthew 4, 1 through 11, when he's being tempted, he quotes Deuteronomy three times when the devil tempts him, he quotes which means he has a grasp on how Deuteronomy breathes as an ancient scroll, you know, all that to say, when we do expository preaching, I think it's liberating for several reasons. One, it takes the pressure off the preacher to come up with something cute and trendy and like hype and uh, like relevant. We just have to say what that next passage says. And we say it in a way that people can understand and that they can go, yeah, Holy Spirit, help me do this. So that is uh, really, really nice and liberating because mm -hmm. I don't feel like I'm creative or smart enough to come up with uh, a, what the alliteration, like a, a sermon <laughs> series of eight things that all start with a letter T. Like I'm not, I'm not that smart. Um, but I think it also over time subliminally teaches our congregation uh, patience and thoughtfulness as they study scripture for themselves. Um so that they would be unsatisfied if they're, you know, in a community group or a small group and somebody uses a half of a verse here and a half of a verse there. And it sounds a little fishy and they're just using those verses to you know, right. push their own agenda. I, I hope that the regular pulpit ministry of the Sunday morning, Sunday morning gathering um, and the faithful walking through the text, I hope that would be a thing that trickles down into, you know, 
how the 11th grade girls, when they're first starting to read the Bible on their own, that's Hannah Tom's small group, like how they, you know, think about the Bible on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that practical slash theological conviction of wanting to be expositors of scripture and faithfully handle the text um, and do good, just good preaching. Right. To me, <clears throat> that has uh, dozens of ripple effects um, that I think are healthy and good. So that will be one that I am uh, really grateful for at our church. And again, that's not a knock if, you know, if you do six weeks on money, six weeks on uh, marriage, six weeks on whatever. Um, I just, I, I think there's a beauty and a patience to, to just settling down in the text of scripture and going, all right, what's going on here? Why, what is being said and why is it being said the way it's being said? And just being like, all right, we're in a crock pot now. We're going to, we're going to soak. Like we're in right. James right now. And James is only five chapters and James is so like, Hey, do this, do this, do this. Also do this. And so simple and direct, but I think we're going to take like 20 something messages in James in five chapters, which I really appreciate the, uh, the patient exploration of that. And I think God, mm. God honors that at least I, I hope he does. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's great. I listened on the way home last night, we were in Disney for the past few days and, uh, we're about an hour to go. And I was like, Oh yeah, Jim, Jimbo preached on, uh, on Sunday. So I, I listened to that. It was, it was really good. Um, and kind of, again, briefly, we've got about three minutes left. Um, kind of along those similar lines, your kind of down to earth type question that I'm going to try to ask each pastor, a unique one. Yours is how knowing you and, and we're in a little text thread together, um, with a couple other guys, but how do you balance or how would you suggest balancing as a pastor study devotion, personal time with sermon prep? Or is mm. should there be a balance? How do you quickly? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know guys who are like, whatever my text is and I'm preaching, I have my quiet time out of that passage all week. And then it just kind of overflows, um, which I think the word speaks. It always speaks. And so I, I don't know. I try to, we do a CBR thing where we try to read together. We have a Bible reading plan as a church. So I try to keep up with that. <clears throat> and I found that starting every morning with, Psalms is good for me. Um, I did hear uh, an old pastor say one time they were asking him about sermon prep and they were like, dude, how long does it take you to prep a message? And he said, 35 years, (laughs) which just means Mm. it's all a cumulative, cumulative exam, if you will. And so for me, it is a, like, I'll listen to the passage on a Bible reading app or whatever. I'll think about it in the shower or I'll just talk about it or I'll just read stuff. And then usually the last few days before like the Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I'll sit down and try to um, lock in on like what I think God's saying in the passage, what he wants to say to our people. Um, But yeah, I'm not of the persuasion where I can just do that for my quiet time. And like, that can be my only thing. Right. So I try to keep my regular Bible reading stuff going on. And then that is, um, this is my job. I know it's like, it's scripture, but it's my job. And so that's my approach. I know other, other people might differ on that. No. Yeah. Thank you. That's a, I like that answer a lot. And I knew you cause we've talked about this a lot. We've done a lot of, you know, meetups and mornings and stuff. So I know like you have this side of you where you do read for your own sake, like not just to prep all the time. So sunrise Baptist. Um, yeah. Sunrise Baptist. 
<laughs> oh, that's too good. Uh, well, dude, thank you so much um, for taking the time to answer these questions and and to join this and uh, be a part of this first kind of conversation with me. It, it always is a joy uh, being able to sit and talk with you about this stuff. So, um, dude, yeah. yeah, man, we'll, we'll look forward to hopefully the next time. Maybe we'll we'll get Charlie in on it or something for Johnny if if that's allowed. But oh no, not allowed. <laughs> awesome. Well, much love, my guy. All right, man. Much love. Thank you so much for listening in to today's episode as we kick off the first of many conversations on the Down to Earth podcast. Uh, feel free to subscribe. You can also follow us on Facebook at the Down to Earth podcast and on Instagram at Down to Earth Convos, or you can shoot me an email at Down to Earth Convos at gmail.com if you have any questions you would like to be asked, uh, or if you think your pastor would be a great person uh, to have on the podcast as well. Hope you have a great rest of the weekend and grace and peace to you.